0: Hello and welcome to the podcast, How Did You End Up Here? I'm Jamie Hare and I am talking to people in interesting jobs and finding out what path they took to get there. This week I'm talking to university lecturer and musician Jim Prime. Thank you for joining me, Jim Prime. Jim, can you just tell us your current sort of job title or career title or vocation title, however you might look at it? Uh,
1: my name is Jim Prime. I am currently a lecturer on commercial music at the UWS in air and i've done that job for about 17 years now i'm also keyboards player and writer uh, with deacon blue
0: fantastic jim how did you uh, get started on this path growing up uh, music was a big part of your life
1: absolutely it was um it was a piano in the lounge i had three sisters and we all had competition to see who get the piano but uh my mom who sadly passed away this year she told me this year. I didn't realise that I started playing piano when I was four, and as I'm just about thirty five now, um, <laughs> that's an awful long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I started. You know, when we used to sort of play for all mum's guests, and and uh, my family were quite religious, uh, so I learned all the hymns and played at Sunday school. Um, but there's there's a good thing that you'll find an awful lot of bands. Their their starting point was actually the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, because A, it was dry, B, it had a hall, C, it had an audience. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of uh, really the sort of thing that led me to sort of...
0: Was your mother musical, was that where it sort of came from? Was that why there was a piano in the house?
1: No, well, there was always a piano in every house. In the 1960s and 70s, it was the thing, you had a piano. Mm -hmm. It was like you had the good room which was the front room that nobody went into yeah. and nobody understood why but when you were in it was like someone had died there so
0: because <laughs> no, no one had been in for so oh,
1: so we had a piano it wasn't a great piano but it was to me it was just wonderful and I just got it you know mm-hmm.
0: fantastic and your sisters they were all musical as well so it was a yeah, competition yeah. to see who can get yeah my sisters played guitars
1: and uh, we all sang um, uh, dreadful songs together and mm. my sister played we sister played the flute as well so
0: okay. she was and did you ever, was there any other instruments? Was it always, you were always focused on piano? Right? Well,
1: I dabble with guitar and, you know, I try to learn the drums and I try I'm a pretty inquisitive sort of person. So mm. uh, I've never, ever got a note out of a saxophone or a trombone. So uh, <laughs> I've always wanted to try a drum- trombone. <laughs> Can and I look like I should play the trombone?
0: And in, in terms of, obviously you, you said, um, you know, a lot of you played hymns and that sort of thing, but in terms of, other artists you, know, you maybe heard on the radio was early influences and, and people you sort of connected with and thought, oh, I, I would like yeah, to do of that. of course,
1: of course, everybody does that. I mean, I actually was trained, I was kind of classically uh, trained to begin with. My dad was Canadian, so he loved jazz, Benny Goodman, and uh, uh, sort of Glenn Miller. And so jazz was one side of my family and my mum loved the church and so, um, but there was some really cooking hymns, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think when everybody else was, My first record I remember getting was uh, White Christmas by Bing Crosby. And I thought it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was something magical about the sound of it, you know. But the next record, which was a bit odd, was, um, I think it was Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player, Elton John. And at the same year uh, was Band On The Run. Mm -hmm. And the same year was Hunky Dory. Three classic albums. Okay. All the ones so they were the ones. So
0: and quite abs- different as well.
1: Well, I'm a, a big soul fan, but I didn't like music in those days. I didn't like top the pops. These guys with suits on and things like that and dancing. Going, what's that about? So I actually liked. I saw Elton John in the television when I was very young, black and white, singing your song, and I thought, wow, you know. But later on, that developed into a kind of, bit of a mix of of stuff, and I loved. Leonard Skinner's, I absolutely adored them. Went to Apollo when I was about fifteen or sixteen. Saw them, and they had a white grand piano, and this guy Billy Powell was playing it. And I thought, hey, a piano player, three guitars—that's for me. Yeah, that was it. Really.
0: And, at, and at school, was that was your sort of musical side brought on at all, encouraged in any way, or was, it, was it Well,
1: it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, uh, in those days, the curriculum was quite narrow, so it was it was music or physics and Hmm. uh, yeah (laughs) exactly i failed physics three times and they wouldn't let me wouldn't let me do music so i never did a musical level or a music higher which is really annoying but uh, it didn't hold me back i was involved in all the school shows and i think uh, i must mention at this point that my last piano teacher was a guy called bill Ritchie, who um passed away last week and his funeral was on monday um and I missed it, but I didn't realise he played the church organ at Glasgow Cathedral. But he smoked like a chimney, swore like a trooper, and he was the guy that kept nudging me, going, Do that, go for it, go for it. Whereas everybody else was going, No, no, you need to stick in at your English and your physics. I was forming bands and stuff. My first band was at school, was with a guy called Andy, and I'll say his second name, but he plays with uh, Primal Scream. So you can go and look and find out who that is. But I was at school with him and he was my first guitarist and he won't admit it when I walk past him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and did you ever think about singing and things? like that? was you always going to be the piano player or oh, you could do singer. both? Or? Oh, I'd
1: love to be able to sing. You know, I'm a biggest fan of Stevie Wonder mm-hmm. and I ended up playing a lot with, with that kind of style and I loved soul music and I kind of really got it. I couldn't sing. Well, I, I can sing... Backing vocals, which mm-hmm. is what I do for the band, but you wouldn't want to hear me,
0: right? Isolated, then, right? They don't, no. they don't do that no. Um, I do the bass parts down here, right? We don't know. so in terms of when, when you left school, did you was there any further education, or did you move? You know, just move straight into some some other career or, or a job, or what? What did you do when you left school?
1: Um, like most seventeen-year-olds. I didn't know what I was doing really, so I went to Langside for a bit, mm-hmm. thinking I would up my English and and I got my f- a beam, my French higher there and all the rest of it. But I really kind of what I ha- what had happened was my school had burnt down, and I know who did it by the way right. in case the police wanted which to. Which school there. was it? It's was called Wood Farm uh, Secondary in Thornley Bank, oh, yeah. in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. So I got shifted uh, to Glasgow Academy, which was polar opposite. At Wood Farm, you had busloads of people, you know, there was guys getting lifted and put in jail in first year. Right. Girls were pregnant, you know, and things like that. Right. And I'd come from Newton Merns. Where, right, you right, know, I don't think I even knew what a Catholic was, because I don't think there was a chapel. Yeah. And we went to uh, Wood Farm for a college. I hated it. So my mum said, oh, let's put you in a post school, you know. So we went from that to having to dress like a, a soldier to go to school. Right. And um, that's when I met Bill Ritchie, who kind of really encouraged me to come at lunchtime and set my band up and mm-hmm. play, and he gave me rehearsal rooms, and um, so that's really a, that, that's really the end of the story. Because when I came out of there, I went to the old <laughs> Paisley Tech, mm-hmm. which is now University of Paisley, a University of uh, of West Scotland. Sorry, yeah. uh, it was University of Paisley, but I went there and dropped out. I did social sciences, mm-hmm. and here. 40 years later, <laughs> I'm part of the social science school or yeah. the, uh, media culture and society, as you yeah. call it.
0: So, you've come full circle in that respect? I have. And you just, the course just didn't, you just didn't take to it or it wasn't what I you were interested know. in? Or? I,
1: just, I just wonder whether often it's a wise thing for people to go, kids to go straight from school to university because they've got this bunch of degree, you know, mm-hmm. uh, hires. I just, I would love to have somebody brave enough to say, which is me, that I would advise people to leave it a year or two mm-hmm. until you've worked out what you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. An awful lot of our students come from psychology degrees or social science degrees and they just do it because their mum and dads or their pals are all going to uni, so they do that and then they come out and they go, oh, I don't, at least I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So right. I I joined John Martin instead and in, in, to go on a world tour.
0: Wow. Okay, that that is a big step forward. Yes. And how, how was that? How was, how was it working with John Martin?
1: Um, terrible. Right. Because it never happened. Right. And I didn't know that a guy who's really drunk in a pub offering you a world tour right. might not be telling the truth. Right, okay. Okay. So I chucked my uni, told them all I was going to go in. Mm.
0: Yeah. Never it didn't, didn't quite work out. It didn't happen at that point, but, no. but later on. So from... So from the maybe the disappointment of that, what what would you how did you how did you make a living at that point?
1: Well, I spent a year unemployed
0: mm-hmm.
1: and did bit bitsy jobs working in pubs and stuff. Um and ended up in the granary in Shawlands. Yeah. Um, behind the bar? Behind the bar. hmm Um and in those days I had I had already had a kind of band, you know, mm-hmm. uh, called the Arthur Trout band, and they were kind of a bit hippie played instrumental stuff
0: yeah Are we gigging and stuff like that
1: oh yeah mm-hmm. I have in fact played Stonehenge right yes I've played Stonehenge and the festival in Bristol and I played um Glastonbury when it was a free festival
0: okay it was that there. was with the Arthur Trout band Arthur
1: Trout band right. and the green pyramid so
0: not in, so not insignificant
1: well at that time it was just a load of hippies mm-hmm. and um a lot of unsavory stuff went on but the Green Pyramid tent mm-hmm. was there, you know. and This is nineteen seventy eight, mm-hmm. so around about there. Um, along the short, of it, I ended up in a pub working because I had nothing else to do. So, uh, but it turned out the Radio Clyde had all these great DJs, and so they were very instrumental in breaking bands at that point because they played local bands at drive time. Yep. So, yeah, so it's very interesting. So you're you're. Your punters were Mark Goodyear, yeah. um, Paul Coyer, um, Richard Park, Yeah, who went on to uh, Pop Idol and, and all that stuff. Um, Mark Goodyear became a great friend, and I worked for him at Radio 1 for a while. Um, but these guys knew about mm-hmm. me. Cause yeah. There was only about two keyboards players. One was Craig Armstrong, and the other one was me. Mm-hmm. So I used to get loads of sessions at the studios along the road in Shawlands called uh, Part Lane Studios. Mm-hmm. And I still worked behind the bar until somebody slapped a cassette in my hands, a guy called Rab Andrews, um, who manages Texas or managed Texas. He said, uh, you want to go and listen to this guy? In the meantime, uh, Alter Dimages came along and mm-hmm. said, do you want to join our band so we can tour America? Okay. So I was then about twenty,
0: twenty-one. Mm-hmm. Like that. And how was that tour in America? Age twenty-one, playing live shows—that must be that must be phenomenal.
1: It was actually it, the guys were so fantastic to work with um, and very talented, despite the fact that everybody took the Mickey out of them because they couldn't play very much. Well, that's what they said. But uh, no, we went to um, we travelled coast to coast on a Greyhound bus, mm-hmm. which was uh, converted carpets and all the rest of it mm-hmm. and television videos and stuff like that. Right. So I drove non- we drove non-stop mm-hmm. from Las Vegas to uh, Minneapolis wow, in right. a Warner overnight. The drummer was a Mormon mm-hmm. so we had to stop in Salt Lake City at the, at the middle of the night mm-hmm. Stop, and he had to go out and go on his knees and pray to right. uh, Brigham Young or whatever the name of the, the guy that formed the Mormons. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, we played in New York and Blondie met her and wow. all these people um this was very early 80s and we had mm-hmm. a hit with Don't Talk To Me About Love. Yeah. Number six in the charts. And uh, we played in Toronto and I met um, your man from Chic. What's his name? Niall Rogers. Uh, Niall Rogers. Wow. He was producing a band called The Spoons.
0: Okay. Uh, and he was cool. He was, he was a down-to-earth, nice guy. You just, could just have a chat with him. And...
1: Most people are, you know. Yeah. New York's a bit weird, but, I mean, it really completely freaked me out. When I went to New York... First Time we stayed in this hotel mm-hmm. at the top of Broadway, um, called the Mayflower. And uh, we were told, you know, you're Scottish, you're white, you're pale, and interesting, you'll know everybody will know you're from Scotland. You know, that's what we felt. And don't talk to anyone, mm-hmm. there's Scientologists out there, they'll drag you up a lane and convert you into <laughs> right. some sort of weird Christian, right? Just don't look up. You can't not look up in New York because it's, yeah. it's just the Empire State Building. You can not yeah. look at your feet and go, that's an State. Shuffle no, on, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So I was walking down and I heard the shout above the taxis and here was a guy on the other side of the road on Broadway called uh, Keith Band mm-hmm. and I had gone to school with him. Wow! First time in New York, first time and he is a graphic artist so we got across the road to go and give him a hug and all the rest of it. And where is he going? He's going to the Mayflower Hotel to meet altered images because he's designing their album cover.
0: Right. Think, <laughs> in,
1: well, a, in a city of twenty million. Yeah,
0: yeah. Wow. So it was all it was all coming kind yeah. of coming together. And so after that tour, you're back in Glasgow. Yeah. Because you talked about did so did you stay with altered other images or well, they split
1: up, right. you see. Um Claire wanted to be an actress, so mm-hmm. she was doing a film called Comfort and Joy. Yeah. Which wasn't a big film, but Belfastyth, she'd done Gregory's girl yeah. so she you know there was all that crowd I'd been at Cumbernault Theatre as well and amongst mm-hmm. all this and I'd met a lot of the theatre people there
0: Comfort and, so, and Joy that was part was that part of this, this uh, play for the, the no it was Ice Cream war. Ice Cream war. sorry yes a bigger your yeah.
1: pardon and uh, I mean it was fine it was a nice kind of thing rom-com mm-hmm. type thing yeah but yeah she thought it was going to launch her acting career and it didn't really mm-hmm. but she'd had enough I mean they have been together since about 15 yeah he used to call me uncle, and I was twenty-one.
0: You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So it was uh, So you're back in you're back in Glasgow. Yep. Was that when you you mentioned a cassette? Obviously, was was that was. that, an, that was a, well, s- a run at that time?
1: Or? Well, we're skipping out John Martin, then amongst okay. all this. But um, so you did
0: do you did do somewhat with John Martin? Oh, I did an album
1: with him, right? Which was uh, when I was about 22, 23. It's okay. all kind of mixed. Mm-hmm. All this stuff up time wise, so forgive yeah. me. No, no. Chronologically, it was a bit difficult. John had fallen and broken his uh, ribs in a bizarre accident with me skinny dipping okay. at six o'clock in the morning in the borders, right near. Uh, Yes, well, we'll not talk about that. No, anyway, <laughs> it ended up with him punctured lung. He just left Island Records mm-hmm. and was signed by Warners at the time, and he, he didn't have any breath to sing. And okay. uh, So, Alan Thompson and I, Alan Thompson was his bass player, and him and I had grown up together. We were kind of like straight apart mm-hmm. in, in Newton and uh, he was the one that really drove me, Alan. But uh, we ended up in London, and this was the time of the Hyde Park bombings. And, Mm-hmm. it was horrible um, because his girlfriend was Irish okay. so we were recording in Mickey Mo's studio sure. uh, Regent's uh, Regent's Park and the bomb went off and everything like it was a big fight in the studio but the sure. um, yeah that album came out and it sold lots but it was, it's not a brilliant album called The Well-Kept Secret
0: okay but I suppose the point here is you are making a living from music you know. not really not really enough to get by or? Not, really. not really £100 a week okay
1: It's still living at home.
0: Okay, but you're pursuing your dream, if you like. Just kind of going with it. Yeah.
1: Um, At the time, see, Glasgow's a funny place. It's always kind of way above its station, Mm -hmm. and it comes in bubbles. So this would be the early '80s when um, you had orange juice, you had altered images. You also had a whole lot of other bands like Thirty Bob Suits and. and, uh, but altered images were really key because they were signed to a major label mm-hmm. and they had hit records and they were on top of the pops. So. Yeah. And they didn't move to London. So right. that was a big change in the early 80s. So people didn't go to London anymore. That's fine for me. Mm-hmm. And then I get this cassette and it's this guy. Now, also, you got to remember is that keyboards are the least uh, fashionable thing in the early 80s before uh, synthy pop and stuff like that. So it started coming out. Nobody wanted a keyboards player. They wanted a guitar player, and everybody wanted to say like that clash or Susie and the Banshees or
2: something.
1: Mm-hmm. So I had to play, like, with one finger and go, oh, this is great, And You know, okay. ding, 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
0: yeah, okay.
1: This guy, whoever this Ricky Ross was, had tunes mm-hmm. with piano in it, mm-hmm. and uh, he was majorly influenced by Steely Dan, mm-hmm. as I am and uh, Bruce Springsteen, who I couldn't stand, but that's the wee bands I'm made up of. You know, it's not everybody likes the same kind of music, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, met him, we hit it off... And that was the cassette that we that were given? That was the cassette, yeah. And on this... was this maudlin' ballad called Dignity, and it was just awful. <laughs> and, and, and there was no hook, line or anything. So I'd been brought up with pop, so him and I had kind of words. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, you're the experienced one, you've toured and done that, you know, and I said, yeah, but... Just something about you know the idea of being able to play the piano. That was, yeah. Sort of, so it we really again. appealed
0: to you, yeah. Oh. It, and so that so you you joined Deacon Blue. You well, were saying they, they were already sort of formed.
1: They were. They were falling to pieces basically. Okay. All that was left was this child, uh, Doogie Vipond, who was about sixteen. Okay. Ricky, who was mid late twenties. And I'm about twenty-four or five, but now mm-hmm. there has been lots of jobs, and I was working for mm-hmm. Clydesdale Bank Computer Centre.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and am I right to say Ricky was a school teacher? So he was. Bo- both of you, you're, you're both of you. Come, and it was almost a question I had. Just you mentioned before about uh, you know students going straight for uh, people going straight from school to university. Mm-hmm. Do you think it helped just the band in a way that you'd seen a bit of the world and you'd. What in, quote a real job for it, and you, do you maybe, you know, I, I don't know. Did that just give you a better grounding, or, or maybe you were able to um, perhaps deal with with things better with, Oof, than if you were say say you say Deacon Blue had formed at school and you'd come through and you were nineteen when you you know did Spandau that Valley. did that make a difference in in in, in the way you, you sort of your outlook on, on things.
1: Eh. Uh, I'm just trying to rewind my brain here because okay. it's very slow. OK, it's um, all right. OK, Ricky was a teacher. Lorraine had been a teacher. Mm-hmm. I was a teacher. And there was a certain love of English and, and certain kind of benchmarks mm-hmm. that we all had about what is good pop, what's good rock and all that. Mm-hmm. And it was quite snobby really about it because Steely Dan, very wordy, great lyrics. And mm-hmm. Springsteen's the same, you know. So lyrical content... He was an English teacher, mm-hmm. and English wasn't my best uh, written subject. I was rubbish mm-hmm. at writing, but I could speak. You know. I liked intelligence, mm-hmm. and the band were quite intelligent. But Ricky had a degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lorraine didn't. Oh uh, well, no, I think she does, actually. Doogie dropped out of his degree to join. Um, now the, the band were t- also couldn't start to form. But we only really got together... Um, 86 or something like that mm-hmm. and we, we did five shows uh, one in Glasgow at The Fix uh, which is where is that it's off I think it's Virginia Street or something like that down mm-hmm. down that way near uh, George Square mm-hmm. and we did some other place then we did Fat Man's Dundee which is this guy called Stuart Clampus. now what the key actually to your question is you know you know Was the progression kind of natural one? No, it wasn't, but there just happened to be a really rich seam of people doing stuff in Glasgow in the mid 80s. And that was DJs, artists, comedians. Um, One went to America and took over the big chair, Craig, um, he went over to take over a big chat show. There was people like... uh, Craig
0: Craig Ferguson. yeah, Yeah, yeah.
1: Bing Hitler, uh, Bing Hitler—that was his stage name. Okay. You also had people like Stuart Cosgrove, and he had a company called Big Star and a wee picture. And Jim, who worked alongside him, went on to write. I remember what you did last summer. It was was loads of caliber Mm -hmm. and kicking about and ideas and art school stuff going on and uh, great um, artists. So it was—it was more of a kind of tidal wave that kind of took you. And Mm -hmm. you just... I didn't know anybody. Right. So when I joined Deacon Blue, I knew about four people, right?
0: (laughs) But But you must have had a fairly credible reputation. You've already toured America with a... And you've had hit singles. You've been in a band that's had hit singles already. That that must have given you a sort of element of credibility, if that's the right way to think about it, or...?
1: um, Maybe. Mm -hmm. I'm only answering for myself. Sure. I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, They're probably laughing at this. um, (laughs) But... Um, yeah, I had an experience of... Uh, I, I can remember thinking it was too big for me all the time. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just too weird. You've got guys with credit cards in London that are sure. running up hundreds of pounds. I could, you know, I would make an excuse that I couldn't go out for dinner mm-hmm. and go around and get a McDonald's for a pound, mm-hmm. you know, because that's all I had. Mm-hmm. And the rest of them were going, yeah, we're going to this restaurant, that rest of them are going to see this band. And I'm going, nah. Sure. Can you deal with it? Yeah. Um and there was times when I, I wanted to run away from it, quite mm-hmm. honestly, because it was right. so bizarre.
0: And that, so that's when you're, you're becoming sort of well known. And one of the reasons for that would be in 1987, you released one of the most iconic albums in Scottish history, uh, Rain Town. Yeah. That's that's to announce yourselves as, you know, to, to bring it as a debut album, it's a pretty, pretty special way to start.
1: Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> he said, must, must give you a lot of pride though to Yes
1: it does And you know. I, I <laughs> totally agree with you I um, we, we often kind of stumble on it we, This mm-hmm. is 30 years later yeah. And we've got this album Which we started off in Glasgow And it was a bit of a disaster Even though it's about Glasgow mm-hmm. And we went to London And went to the famous Air Studios uh, Which were in Oxford Circus mm-hmm. On the top building of the Burton's building there and he walked in and here's George Martin and there's Jeff Emmerich. They okay. got with a producer called um, John Kelly. And he uh, he went on to do The Beautiful South. And at that time he'd done uh, Karen Carpenter's album and he'd done a um, Prefab Sprouts album, which Ricky was a big fan of. And he was a lovely guy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But we were in this big studio and it was just magical. And things like Chocolate Girl, which was one of the songs on the album, we used uh, Paul Young's Backing Singers. And they went on to be London Beat, uh, a band in the 80s, 9am mm-hmm. uh, on uh, New York Subways and yeah. all that songs. Uh, <laughs> it just was the level of professionalism was what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. was way up there. Mm-hmm. And you had the top of the business walking about, Paul McCartney upstairs, you know, Stevie Wonder. I remember this. I'm playing... the. Um, when will you make my telephone ring? And I've got my headphones on and John's in the control room and he clicks the microphone. And goes, All right, Jim, are you came. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> just before you take this, uh, go for this one, I'd just like to tell you, um, that's the piano that Stevie Wonder wrote Superstition on. Bye. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no pressure.
1: So, But it was stuff like that. Awesome, and it, uh, yeah. So it was great fun. Um, and then there was something about the production and the songs just came alive. life. Yeah. These singers uh, from Paul Young just sang beautifully. And all of a sudden, it was the first time I'd ever heard um, anything that I'd ever done sounding magnificent. Mm-hmm. So we knew it was a special album and I'd written Loaded on it and... Um, that was very special to me because that became a big anthem as well mm-hmm. and Dignity, obviously. But we don't own these songs anymore. The public do, mm-hmm. and it's it, that is the bizarre thing. Yeah. But if you start thinking about it too much, Jamie, mm-hmm. uh, you just go off your heat.
0: But it must be gratifying you're in, you know, the hydro. There's 10,000 people singing lyrics that you wrote back to you. Yeah. It must be awesome.
1: I think the tough bit, and this is for you out there, kids, a th- the tough bit is what you don't see is mm. me getting the train up.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, I haven't eaten all day because I'm so nervous. <laughs> I get in a taxi, and the t- guy's going, so What's going on at the hydro night? You working there? And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In a funny way, Are you just selling tickets? And that? I said, yeah, yeah, in a funny way, yes, I am. And <laughs> <laughs> so you yeah. get there, yeah. and, and you you were there, I think you came along, didn't you? I came I?
0: in 2013, I was there, yeah, uh-huh. and uh, Const, uh, Armadillo, sorry. Yeah,
1: and, and it's a very special mm-hmm. uh, buzz, the Deacon Blue audience, yeah. um, because they they know you. Mm-hmm. And they don't, you know, they just didn't come to your record, you know, 10 minutes ago or that, that year. Yeah. They've been coming, they've had for, it for 30 years. They've yeah. been coming, and their kids come, and their mum and dad's come, and the grandpa comes, you know. Uh, so, we sell out mm-hmm. in Glasgow, notably also in Liverpool, mm-hmm. uh, which is a fantastic thing, you know. And London does very well for us, and Birmingham, in fact, all these places do. Mm-hmm. Because, but it's like visiting friends, that's mm-hmm. what it's
0: like. Because these songs obviously. Um, you Know they mean a lot to people, they're part of people's lives. They've probably been played at special occasions and that sort of yeah. thing. And you can, like, every time I'm sure I've uh, I'm sure I've sent you messages to say, you know, they're playing real gone kid. You can hear your piano going here before the Scotland game to get the crowd fired up. And uh, you know, if it doesn't go so well, we've got <laughs> it says, Oh, they're playing dignity, that's we won't be going to the world cup, <laughs> but at least we've got some good tunes.
1: Well. <laughs> Do you know, we talk about this all the mm-hmm. time, Jamie, don't we? we do. And uh, they stopped playing Real Gone Kid at the rugby, which I'm really angry at, because <laughs> I was waiting with my son and uh, a friend who's was ah. ex next student, mm-hmm. and we went to see Scotland uh, play Samoa, I think it was, mm-hmm. and uh, they just kept playing the Proclaimers.
0: Right.
1: And uh, the Fratellis. And right. It was really annoying. I'm going, when's our husband coming we, on? That?
0: We d- well, they did play, I was... Uh, Scotland Island, 2017, and they were playing it after we beat them that day. That was that was only a year ago, so. We built. building up I went for like to good,
1: Scotland, France. That year. Yeah, I know. It's up just, for a good Six Nations. Then. Oh, I can't wait to the Six Nations. Mm. I love it, and uh, just so that I can hear my. Change. Just a
0: good <laughs> but it's great. But it's almost um, it comes into, uh, you know, it's there's a real Scottish. Like, I, I remember texting you when I was in out in Australia visiting some pals, and we had, Deacon Blue on, and it, you know it. Because you know, obviously, I was there, and we were, uh, you know, my friend's mum was there, and everyone, you know, so there was four or five Scottish people on the other side of the world, sort of mm. listening and thinking back to 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 Scotland, and you know, and and, and the sort of memories attached to it for us as well, you know, growing up and what have you. That you have when you have such an iconic album, is how do you feel when you go? You've done the, tu- you've been on the tours, or whatever, you've, and I don't know how it, how it feels as this sort of is there an energy that carries it around and if maybe it dies down eventually and you have to go okay let's make album number two How, how is there a pressure on you to do, do that? how do you feel do you think or do you think brilliant we're on such a high we know we're good we know we've got fans well we didn't because mm.
1: it wasn't a hit album at all mm-hmm. you know and by six months we'd only sold 12,000 and in those days that was a flop and okay. it was a disaster because we'd spent a, a zillion quid on it okay um so we didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So Ricky says, Right, I know what we're going to do, do, I do a second album. And okay, what will we do? Well, um, I've got these songs, so we we'll need to record them. And so we recorded four songs. Now, this was a bit of a kind of you're going to get dropped any second now feeling. Okay. Uh, well, the, our manager, uh, Peter Felstead, had kept this away from us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We needed two tour. So we did 100 shows. Wow. Well, right. And we we're playing and it. That's everywhere. in the UK and in the world. In the, in the from... UK, uh, um, nothing had happened. Mm. Holland, France, Germany. We did. We tried them. We played to kind of thirteen people in in Italy. Uh, it was a big hit. not... it was the wrong day. Mm-hmm. They were see They were there to see another band. So okay. um, lots of that kind of thing. Um, and then we went and wrote Real Gone Kid, um, and that got put out before the album. The second album had been done. And the start, second album, we wasted a tonne of money in Los Angeles because that's what you do. You go away to Los Angeles and you waste money. And uh, the, the music sounded absolutely atrocious. It sounded like that. Right. And Ricky, for some reason, started singing like that. Right. And everything was like that. You know, It was like prefab fab It wasn't okay. rubbing. So we came back. And in about two weeks, we wrote, I think, Wages Day, we Real Gone Kids, Fergus Sings Blues, uh, Changing Light. And this was a big kind of second album. Now our second album was the hit. Mm-hmm. Now that's interesting because most second albums are flops. Sorry, Duffy. Where are you? hey eh? That's what happens when you start writing your own songs. Anyway. <laughs> so second album, big hit. Um, are Gone Kid, number six here, number one Spain. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Rain Town went from twelve to sixty thousand mm-hmm. uh, albums, which was silver. And then we had two albums to tour. Mm-hmm. So we had the big hit albums. And by the time that year was done, we're talking about 88, going on 89. Um, then the big shows. So we started playing S C C C I I can remember, mm-hmm. in a bus driving into the actual venue. Okay, really? Oh, my God.
0: Right, sold out.
1: It was three nights, mm-hmm. sold out.
0: All right. So that's, what, eight 9,000 people a night?
1: Yeah. And then uh, Wembley. Um, we did three nights there, or mm-hmm. two nights maybe. I'll just say three. Makes yeah. sense a bit. Birmingham, pff, yeah, three weeks there, mm-hmm. sold out. It's a lie, Jamie. But, but, <laughs> Most, but mostly we but, sold out everything.
0: Mm-hmm. But you're playing large audiences. Well, not regularly.
1: Big, Well, not as big as some bands are playing. No. Um, and but you see, the bigger it gets, doesn't you know? It actually gets. Harder to do because you can't see very many people. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the great venues like the Barlands yeah. and uh, it's just a rammy. Yeah. but lovely venues like Birmingham Symphony Hall and, mm-hmm. and the the Apollo in, in London, which we're playing, we managed to kind of get in there from yeah, all the yeah. comedy guys that yeah, kind of, yeah. uh, block book it. Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic gig, but yeah. so is you know the Concert Hall when it's when it's going. The Usher Hall's brilliant, mm-hmm. Aberdeen's great, they're all great, but. In 1990, we played the big day in yeah. in Glasgow. My first ever gig. Was it really? Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. That was outrageous.
0: Mm-hmm. It was my b- June the third. It was 1990.
1: Ah. It was. We were told expect about oh, fifteen thousand, mm-hmm. maybe thirty. We were cacking ourselves. We basically, mm. oh, so we went and did this photo session, and we we kind of. Hung out away from it Mm -hmm. for most of the day and we went to the Lawn Hotel at at, uh, Kelvin Grove and met up with this guy, Harry Benson, who's a famous photographer. He photographed the Kennedys and uh, famous shots from Glasgow. And he took us out on the river and we did a photo session with him. And then we got driven down to the gig later on that day and we just kept driving past people and more and more people and more and more people. And a big country we're on Mm -hmm. and... uh, we saw Gina Easton getting on. she get bottled off by yeah. all these people. Hi there. It's so great to be back in Glasgow. Yeah. And my mommy's like, then there's thousands yeah. of bottles came yeah, on this yeah. So she get bottled off. And then we thought, this is a bit unruly. How many folk are out there? There's helicopters and cameras. Mm-hmm. And going out live on Channel 4. Right across Europe. No pressure. Uh, wet wet, we're fuming. Because we were getting to headline and their they power... Played in, they their, played in George Square, is that Yeah, right? but the power went off halfway, mm. so they moved okay. the cameras, right? So okay, yeah. <laughs> Good bonkers. 210,000 people.
0: This is at Glasgow Green, is that right? It
1: was 210,000. I'm just saying mm. that again.
0: 210,000.
1: That is quarter of Glasgow. Mm-hmm. You know, or half of Glasgow. Yeah. So it's I look back at that going...
0: humanity. But
1: you, you just see the front. Mm-hmm. front you just see kind of nothingness. Yeah. And you don't hear what... Two hundred thousand uh, pound. Two hundred thousand people P- singing dignity sounds mm-hmm. like because it's outso- outside.
0: And would he, do you just sort of focus <laughs> on the front row and just say these are the people that are here, or do you, you don't in your head going? there's two hundred thousand.
1: I'm busy. <sighs> I'm in the kitchen.
0: The kitchen. That's uh, your. That's uh, what you call your
1: The keyboards. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm busy cooking up okay. some cool sounds. I'm right, looking right. at my keyboards, and okay. if I look over the parapet, yeah, over my Hammond, see any more than. Uh, you know, a few thousand people, I just go back to the steering in my hands because yeah. I can't any deal with it. But okay. um, it was a huge stage. Mm-hmm. So we played enormous stages, which was difficult because mm-hmm. Ricky was too far away and um, you couldn't get anything done. Um, well, I said you couldn't it's get It's a bit harder done. to connect. Well, yeah, because they were miles away and I never got to go to the front. And so Ricky had this brilliant idea: Jim, you play the accordion.
0: All right. Brilliant.
1: Uh, and you come down the front, and we'll play Queen in the New Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did that. I had a ponytail. Okay. I think it fell off in fright, but um, <laughs> that was it. There F- you go.
0: Fantastic, and uh, as I say, that was man. That was my first ever gig. It was my 14th birthday that day, so oh, I was right, uh, yeah. able to go and stay up as late as it, or be out as late as it, as it ever it went on to. But um, as, as you carry on. Through your career, no, there was obviously um a break in the band for a little bit. Mm. What what were some of the other things you've you've done and other people you've played with? I know you played with Johnny Halliday, the French yes. the, the French artist. How did how did that come about?
1: It was scary. I did dream about him last night. Mm. Um Johnny, uh, well I'll try and keep this very short. The band split up and I got a gig doing some television music but it wasn't great. And then I got a gig playing uh, this thing called the Big Picnic, which was a, a an out. Well, it was actually in Harland and wolf shipyards, mm-hmm. and it was a full size mock up of the trenches in the First World War. And the audience were on a moving railway, and they were they could walk alongside the actors. And the band mm-hmm. were in the, the the kind of hanging from the rafters mm-hmm. on this kind of also a suspended railway. And we went to where the action was. Well, there was 15 of us all hanging on, grim death. Uh, so I did that, and then I got word from this guy who used to sing for Sad Café. Every day I think about you. Uh, so he phoned up and said, fancy a gig? And I went, who are you? He
0: said, well, we met
1: in the Columbia Hotel in London. And I went, I don't remember. He said, I know, because you're really drunk. And I was really drunk. I said, but we stayed up all night. Did I? I (laughs) He said, here's the gig. You come across, you just play the Hammond. It's a guy called Johnny Halliday. The band are rocking. We've got this guy, uh, Robin Lemassuri, who's John Lemassuri from Dad's Army's son. Mum was Hattie Jakes. Fabulous guy. We've got Bruce Springsteen's guitar player. We've got Dire Straits' guitar player. We've got King Crimson, their drummer. We've got Billy Idol's bass player, who's also been with Ozzy Osbourne. And we've got the Bee Gees piano player.
2: Okay.
1: And I went, no, (laughs) not good enough. So anyway, I eventually said yes, because they mentioned some money that was beyond recognition for me, you know. Um, So off I went to France, on and off for two years, yeah. Yeah. Did an album with Johnny. There's lots of stories in there, but I'll not Mm. uh, give away. Because he sadly left us is, uh, yeah. last year, mm-hmm. tail end of, uh, an amazing man, Elvis Presley. They likened him to to me. Um, he was scary because he was a rock god. Mm-hmm. His life was lived like a rock god. So, and I was just Jim from Glasgow, you know. And I think he knew that, you know. So <laughs> he'd try and make jokes with me, and I had to finish the show every night with him, just him and I. Mm-hmm. And I played the piano, grand piano, and him. If you want to laugh, go on uh, and have a look at him à la mour. And uh, it's from a place called Bercy in in Paris. And it was about 15,000 people. We did 19 nights there. And he was pitched every single night. And he used to come across leaning the piano and insult me every night. I don't like your shit. Go get a haircut. (laughs) Uh, The French crew would come on and spray pom-poms on my feet. And then there would be screens everywhere and the audience are laughing at you. He said, Jim, I love you, but I don't understand a damn thing you're saying. You know? that's, that was, that's a good thing.
0: Did you enjoy living in, Fr- in France or spending the time in France? I yeah.
1: I love France and I love Paris and on a Sunday.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Most cities on the Sundays are beautiful, but Paris on a Sunday, kind of, october time and... I stayed for about six months in the Holiday Inn in uh, Place Republic. Uh, so much so I kept getting upgraded until I had a suite on the top floor. So what's not to like Sunday morning? Mm-hmm. Open the big curtains and you're in the middle yeah. of Paris. Might go for a English pub lunch, watch some footy. Go for a stroll down the Seine, and go yeah. for a few beers with my mates. And uh, <clears throat> uh, my girlfriend would fly out now uh, mm-hmm. and again, of so thing. But
0: being Johnny Halliday's piano player, that must have carried a certain amount of I kudos think, as well in France. I everybody knows. Right. Johnny Halliday was but outside. In, in, fra- in France when you are in France, well, that must have they yeah. must have said, Oh, you know, you're well, it was kind of with a great
1: table where he was he was part of their furniture in, mm-hmm. in that not everybody liked him, but they just knew that, you know, yeah, he was the knew who he was. He had he introduced the Beatles to France. Yeah. He he had uh Jimi Hendrix down for tea. So I think this was the level. We had Brian Adams on stage. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Mick Jones from Foreigner and all these people. Okay. And so, uh, backstage was oh Madame Chirac. Um, met her. Mm-hmm. She's a laugh, right? That's oh, she's great. Okay. And uh, what's that? Jack Chirac's
0: um, wife. The yeah, band. Jack. Sh- she was hilarious.
1: Yeah. I um, met all these actors and Paul Young and his uh, Mrs. Um, he'd come over from London because he, he knew Robin, and it was, it was just pop stars. beyond know, and most of them kind of believed it mm. and lived the life, whereas I didn't really, because I know that you know, tomorrow I'll be on a plane home, and I'll be in mother care, or something <laughs> like that. The next day, yeah, I'll be standing in a queue in Morrison's, going right. hey, I'm looking for, the <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for the discount.
0: Yeah, for, yeah. Pretty much is
1: the milk, you know.
0: Yeah. No, uh you mentioned Mark Goody Radio 1 before. What were we doing with them?
1: Um, it was actually his his company. Uh, his name's just going out my window. Um, he's got a production company mm-hmm. called... You can edit this later while I try and remember okay, it. Okay, It's just going from me. No, anyway, no. it was a production company. and I got asked by his partner, business partner, Bill Padley, who was also... Uh, Radio Clyde, and they'd done a Julia Fordham's "Wise Buddha," that's what it was called. So I spent about six months down London, uh, living and working there, working on uh, albums and in the mix '96 mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I think okay. that was about then, and um, did cover version albums. It was all right, mm-hmm. but uh, Mark's a nice guy.
0: Yeah, and now I think there's a connection between you moving towards education. Mm-hmm. Deacon Blue getting back together, performing in air, am I right? Am I right? Similar lines? How did that. Very
1: quickly, connection goes like this. So I've got nothing to do, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm going bonkers. Right. Alan DeBreck is working at um, James Watt, mm-hmm. asked me to do a guest lecture. Yeah. I asked him, is there any extra work going? He says, yeah, I'll get you some work. Got some part time work at uh, James Watt for a couple of uh, well, a year and a half.
0: Mm hmm. What what Um, is that? That's lecturing.
1: What what kind of? Yeah, teaching keyboard skills and stuff like that, and recording stuff. And it was a bit weird because it's a bit of a journey to get to Greenock. And then um, I got a phone call from the council and asked me if I'd come to a meeting with this guy Benny Gallagher from Gallagher and Lyle to talk about formation of a school of music and recording technology, Smart, Mm -hmm. which was to be based roughly where we are now in air and it was to be kind of of state-of-the-art was this kind of fame school kind of brit school for scotland's finest musicians and uh, needless to say they needed somebody to um from an education background to come in so i phoned alan immediately because he was my mate and i said alan and alan was one of the first people ever to write any music course in scotland one of the first you
0: know. And Alan, t- for people that don't know, he's an obviously been an artist in his own right.
1: He had, but he played for The Big Dish, this is how I knew him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd always, he's an Edinburgh guy, so it was only a few Edinburgh musicians I did know, actually. But, um, he played with Stuart Nisbet, who went on to the Proclaimers and stuff. So were, we all kind of knew each other, because we all rehearsed in the same place mm-hmm. in Berkeley 2 and Glasgow. So Alan came down here, I introduced him to Benny Gallagher. Uh, and then the whole thing fell flat in his face because no one would put up the money to build a new building at that point the, one of the partners on the steering committee for SMART was University of Paisley a guy called Alex Gilkyson. Um and he approached Alan who approached me and said look I know we haven't got the building but do you want to write the degree and Alan went yeah so he, he said to me "Right, Jim they're prepared to put you on a retainer for the for the summer if you come up and write modules. I said, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. He said, I'll help you, I'll help you. So Alan taught me everything new. And then the rest is history. Um, and then uh, a few years ago, uh, the university became the University of West Scotland mm-hmm. and they built the building yeah. that we're sitting in now. Mm-hmm. So in a funny way, SMART did happen. Mm-hmm. In that time, we did some fundraisers.
0: Mm-hmm. For the original building, yes, because we're obviously in a newer campus, but there was the previous what was known as Craigie campus. Is that's that right? That's
1: right. It was falling to pieces. I loved it. Yeah, it's gone now.
0: That's well. That's where I. That's where I it's studied as a student. Now. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: Um, of course, you, you were studying. Right? In the meantime, we did some sort of fundraiser thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where the money went, by the way <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not, not, nothing to do with. Me. Um, for smart, we did it at the Gaiety, and I, I suggested to Ricky. That we get the band together mm-hmm. just to do it. And they kind of grudgingly accepted that because we'd now been split up for about three years, mm-hmm. two years, two and a half years. When we played that gig and we used a backing band as well as ourselves uh, from Council Dow, they, they had to kind of really pull their socks up, but they, they were brilliant. Mm-hmm. And we played Ferguson's Blues and the entire theatre were on its feet. Mm-hmm. And Ricky came off and just went. Oh, I didn't realise that that was there for us. Yeah, yeah. So that started again. Yeah. And he didn't realise, and it was actually none of us realised what we'd left behind. Yeah. And we went on stage quite shortly after that.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's not like it was ill feeling and that sort of thing. It was just. No, it it just sort of, did you feel you just reached the end of it's the? Just
1: run out idea. Well. No. Did... Most bands have a lifetime. You know, mm-hmm. you get four albums out a band. You're lucky. You know, one of them all sold a lot and the yeah. rest is kind of just getting near the greatest hits album. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you better get out before you, you, you kind of end up like Spandau Ballet did, you know, getting on buses and with many discs and things like that, sure. and doing backing tracks and mm-hmm. playing in social clubs. Or like Donnie Munro did, you know. and I just can't stand that. So we kind of decided to split. Ricky and I actually... <laughs> And the one who needed the money most, uh, I said, "No, let's let's call it a day because we'd run out of ideas." No ill feeling at all, but we didn't see each other. Mm-hmm. Doogie was propelled into television. He he auditioned for this uh, outdoor show, great outdoors thing when he was jumping off cliffs and stuff, and, and that suited him. He got the job, and then he got BBC stuff. And... Lorraine went into acting, which is what she'd done before, and she did quite well with the film. Uh, My name is Joe. Ricky. Decided to do some of his own solo stuff for a while and realised that I think uh, the two were separate, you know. Deacon Blue was still very much alive, mm-hmm. you know. And then when we came back, it was just outrageous. Mm-hmm. We just sold out tickets and tickets and tickets. The people had missed you? I think so. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like to think so. And I, we had missed the point that people had used... Rain Town and and when the world knows your name, as a kind of life marker, mm-hmm. like a lot of people. I mean, my favourite songs September, Earth Wind and Fire, mm-hmm. but because it was at a certain time, you know, yeah. and I remember that time, and I go, that's the song because yeah. I remember dancing and I remember my girlfriend, and, you know, and a lot of that sort of stuff, and it just generated a whole new new thing, which is a full time job here. Yeah. And Deacon Blue as well. Now the mm-hmm. university's been fantastic at letting me go out there and do what I do, mm-hmm. but that's really the only way it can be. Yeah,
0: but it must be—it's quite. It must be quite inspirational. Um, I mean, I'm not—I wasn't a music student. That's not what I studied. But it must be pretty inspirational if you're coming into university and you're learning from your lecturer, and then next week that same lecturer is going. Play the Hydro, play the Liverpool Co Arena, mm. to play in London, to play Tina Park, mm. to Edinburgh Castle, mm. to headline Stoneleigh Castle at Hugman A's. You know, and these these are all things you're you're still doing to this day. So, mm. which which a well, shows you what what special band Deacon Blue are that they've got this because it's you, there's a lot of people with a lot of affection who saw you 30 years ago, but there's a lot of people who weren't born when Rain Town came out and they're 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 showing up at the, they're they're coming as well now to the concert so it's it's you know you've sort of re- there's almost more fans in a way there's the children of those original people and so that that almost shows you that so it must be for a student to to come in and see that it must you know you would imagine it must be quite inspiring I would have thought if i was a, if I was a music student to see my lecturer heading off to you know to play these shows and you know to be on the television and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. I don't. We should get one of them in here. I don't. Well, I mean, I I would
1: hope so, but I mean, I'm just me. I'm just Mm. Jim. No, of course. At the end of the day, I'm incredibly lucky. And the only reason Deacon Blue are are really still going now Mm -hmm. uh, are for two reasons. One, we're alive. Yeah. Just. And uh, two, we are really close, Mm. um, sort of family type relationship we have rather than a business one Mm -hmm. we do have a business relationship of course we do but Mm -hmm. I need my family as well as I need my work Mm -hmm. and I need the students more than they know I need them Mm -hmm. because they are going to develop into something that is hopefully the reason why I do what I do and Mm -hmm. I got my degree when I was 40 you know Mm -hmm. I'm only doing this now so I can get an OBE, right? Um, so
0: Must can't be long now. <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> right, when
1: wait, is it come yet? It's coming. Out? Nope. It coming out? I mean, if he gets one and we don't, I'm I'm walking out right. by the end of the bar. That would be the finish, right? Um, <laughs> I figure at 30 years, I've still gone up and down that M uh, M, you know, M6 and M74. I'm trying to work out how many times I've been up and down that road. I deserve, yeah, an OBE. Other buggers' efforts. My dad used to say that's what it stands for. Is that for. right? Okay. Um, But, no, I think our next stage is most ambitious, Mm -hmm. uh, which is we're going to Spain in two weeks, going backwards in time. Mm -hmm. We haven't been there for 100 years. And we've sold out small venues in Valencia, Mm -hmm. in Barcelona and in Madrid. And these are old friends again Mm -hmm. uh, because we were number one in Spain. And we played Real Madrid's training ground. Okay, right. (laughs) it's <laughs> true the pa was so small anyway the point is we're going back in time and we're traveling by train okay good. so that's going to be fantastic so yeah. exciting uh and then because we're doing that the dutch where well, we used to be quite big in holland as well they said media show showing paradiso in mm-hmm. amsterdam like okay and the germans are going more well, about berlin you haven't been here for yeah. so. I'm really looking forward to this year because I've got the feeling that we're going to be jumping about a bit and we're going to Southern Ireland mm-hmm. um, to Limerick and we've got a big tour at the end of the year, so the 30th anniversary. Yeah.
0: 30 years. 30 years, yeah. And finishing off the year, the Hydro?
1: Uh, when does the year finish? Is I don't know. It? I think we're finishing, I don't know if we're actually fin- we probably will be finishing right at Christmas time mm-hmm. at the Hydro. And we're just a bit sold out there. Yeah. It's about a year away, you know. We sold out in London, sold of, all the place. But we're playing smaller venues. Yeah. And I always say to punters, um, don't go to Glasgow all the time. Go and check out Newcastle. It's yeah. rocking. Yeah, and it's yeah. in the town hall there, but it's mm-hmm. brilliant. And yeah. and, and you go we're going to Bradford and things like that. Well no, I don't know Bradford but Plymouth. Yeah. Nobody goes to Plymouth. Pure yeah. Plymouth. Yeah. Uh, the way rock bands work nowadays, uh, Jamie, is that they stick to the motorways because it's cheaper. Yeah. And the drivers can only drive for so many hours. You okay. see? So it's got to... If You're off the motorway. You're fine. If you're pure Plymouth away along in Cor nearly Cornwall. So we go there and it's like, Oh, right. you've come to see. <laughs> It's very good. Yeah. You're a rock band, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. And they're, they're, they're wonderful. Yeah, yeah. But there was so many um, pleas for us to go to places that we haven't been to for the ages. So we I- decided to go into some places that we haven't done mm-hmm. um, for a long time. Norwiches and Ipswiches and about. there. Excellent. I love it because yeah. I get a free bus. <laughs> And I get all my best friends in the world, yeah. and we play silly games on the bus and quizzes and you know mm-hmm. old people's things. Watch films and stuff like that There's bunks in the bed, and I get to meet everybody that knows me up and down the country mm-hmm. from Nottingham, and, and, and you know they all know you. Yeah, and yeah. They, they know what you do. They know how old you are. They know what your kids are called. Yeah, and you yeah. know where you live. And, uh they're all very lovely people. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So it's dead exciting.
0: So, a good, good, some good, uh, good events in the, in the not too, not too distant future.
1: Yeah, we're doing a few summer shows. I think we're doing Isle of Wight. Uh, we're doing well, we did the Edinburgh Castle, um, social bite sleepover before Christmas, mm-hmm. which was amazing. They raised mm-hmm. that at uh, 1.3 million, um, uh, 8,000 people sleeping over in, in uh, Princess Garden for, mm-hmm. for uh, social bite. Um, yeah and there's a few other summer shows coming up I think just to get us warmed up but generally right now kids it's time for your classes because I am in teaching mode at the moment and i am expecting a full cohort next
0: week we'll get them to do an essay on this <laughs> but Jim thank you very much for taking the time I appreciate it and very welcome, tell us Jim. what you've been up to it's anytime.
1: been great and I'll take you up on that trip uh, to Ibrox anytime you want to see Rangers getting beaten
0: excellent you know we don't get beat too often these days no. well, coming good it's. Jim thanks a lot cheers that's all for this time thanks very much for downloading or streaming this episode and thanks of course to Jim Prime for sitting down with me you can follow me on Twitter it's simple enough I'm at Jamie here and give me any thoughts you have otherwise I'll be back soon with the next edition of how did you end up here